Geekville Radio. You want these powers? Come get them! Hello once again all you geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio coming at you with another edition here. This is episode 320. We're going to have two main subjects here. We're going to talk the Shazam! Fury of the Gods trailer, the final trailer that hit just this past week, and then we will wind it up with a review of the very famous, or I guess it might be infamous now, Velma, the latest reboot of Scooby-Doo. And we'll get to those shortly. I will link in the show notes at geekleradio.com slash 320. And that's also where you will see the screen caps that I'm talking about for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Obviously, this is radio. It's not TV. It's not a visual. I will be describing screen caps here, but you'll be able to follow along in the show notes, geekleradio.com slash 320, and you'll see the screen caps that I am discussing. So without further ado, let's dive into our first subject here the final trailer for Shazam! Fury of the Gods. The movie itself hits theaters in a little over a month, and the first trailer gave us some glimpses. We got some ideas. Obviously, we knew Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu were in it, and it looked like they were villains. And I think it's going to be a hoot to watch this because it looks like Helen Mirren's having the time of her life being a comic book villain or a superhero villain in this. So, like the first one, I think this is just one of those, it looks like it's just going to be fun. No, there, there are definitely some heavy-hitting, dramatic superhero movies with the over-the-top action. We all watched the Snyder Cut of Justice League and how epic that was, and it was very dramatic and very dark in places. This obviously does not look like it's going to be dark. This looks like it's going to be one of those popcorn movies that you just watch and enjoy. And we need those every now and then with our superhero movies. But the trailer begins with Lucy Liu playing the character Calypso. And it looks like she's got the wizard Shazam's magical staff from the first movie. And she's using it to grow these giant vegetation trees, almost look like magic beanstalks, just taking root all over the streets of Philly. I'm assuming that stadium is where the, the Phillies play. But these branches and roots just sprout up all over the city, humongous vegetation, causes massive damage, car crashes and such. And then we see Shazam talking with Helen Mirren, Hespera. She literally gives him the boot, as in she boots him all the way across the block. We also see a dragon, Trogdor, a dragon in downtown Philly. Wow. I think anytime you put dragons in the real world, that can be cool. We also see Hespera zapping Freddy with the wizard zappy staff. And it looks like the staff can take the powers away from the Shazam family, reverting them back into normal kids. Because that's clearly what happens. Freddy gets zapped, falls over, and he's regular kid Freddy. He's not the Adrian Brody superhero Freddy. We do know we're going to get some use of a force field because we see the dragon blowing his fire from the inside of a force field going out, and it just kind of splats against the force field. I don't know if this is going to be earlier or later in the film. I, I'm assuming it's probably going to be later at some point. I'll get to that in a minute. We do see Shazam 
spearing the dragon, Goldberg style, or maybe Edge style, spears him completely through a high-rise building. That probably needs a, a Jim Ross quote of, oh my gosh, he speared him clear in half. And we see the younger sister of Calypso and Hespera. Her name is Anthea, played by Rachel Sigler. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She has her own powers. Now, one thing I think you can gather from the screen cap and from the shots that you see in this movie, she's holding up her hands. She's clearly got powers. And if you look closely, it looks like she's squaring off against Calypso. So I think we're led to believe that Anthea is actually going to be on the side of the heroes here. So she is going to be a good guy who is breaking away from her sisters, helping mankind, helping Earth, helping the heroes. I don't know how long she's going to stay at that. It would not surprise me if she gets imprisoned or banished somewhere. And maybe part of the plot is the heroes have to free her in order to get her to rally around and bring about beating her sisters. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. I think that's this is going to be one of those things that's going to establish her fairly early as being a hero. And part of the story is going to be getting her out. Now, getting back to the force field. We do see elsewhere in this trailer the Marvel family, the Shazam family, flying to get out of this force field. looks like it's encapsulating the entire city, and Shazam himself is left in. All of his friends are left out. So clearly we're going to get a part of this where Shazam is going to be by himself, no family, nobody to help him. He's going to have to take down the villains on his own. And that's a trope as old as superhero teams have been, so... That's something to be expected. We also see the wizard Shazam making an appearance again, which is interesting because anybody who saw the first movie knows that he died in the first movie, or at least he disintegrated. He, he gave Billy the powers. He disintegrated into dust, and that's kind of how Shazam was born. So somehow he's being brought back. Now, wizard, powerful magic, there's a plethora of things that could be done to explain that. I think it could be kind of equated to Sean Connery in Highlander 2, where he came back for a sequel despite literally dying in the first film. Maybe he can only be around for a brief cameo. He's only shown talking to Shazam. He's not shown fighting anybody. It's not to say he doesn't take part in a fight. We just don't see it in the the trailer. But it's, it's hinting that he might be around just long enough to try to rally the troops, and then he will disappear again. Although we do see a visual of him blowing fire or blowing kind of his fire dust, whatever you want to call it, into the air. Maybe that's giving the heroes back their powers. Maybe it's taking away the villain powers. I don't know. We also see Mary, Grace Carolyn Curry, getting zapped out of the sky. And Shazam has to go and save her by catching her. We also see, it looks like a baby dragon, maybe a young dragon, roaming the streets of Philly. My hunch is this is shortly after the the beanstalks or the giant vegetation grows around. We probably get like something out of Jumanji. These strange creatures just suddenly pop up as well. And the trailer pretty much ends with Shazam giving an uppercut. Ryu of Street Fighter would be proud of just giving an uppercut to a dragon, fierce dragon punch style. So where does this leave us? What what are we going to see? Well, these characters, the sisters, it looks like they are known as the daughters of atlas atlas is of course the greek god he's depicted as holding the earth on his shoulders and fans who know shazam or captain marvel we actually covered captain marvel both the marvel and the dc version in our who is captain marvel episode from a few years back in short he was once known as captain marvel now known as shazam fans of 
Shazam know that one of his powers is the stamina of Atlas. So that's probably where the Sisters of Atlas come in because it looks like Hesperus and Calypso are after Billy and his family for stealing the power of their father. Now, it's possible, and I think rather likely, that they do not know that the wizard is actually the one that gave the powers to Billy. This may also be what brings Anthea to oppose her sisters. Maybe she knows that they don't. Maybe she knows a dark secret that her other two sisters have that everybody else doesn't, and the goal is to, and the, the villains have to silence her to keep the charade going. I don't know. Just ideas falling out of my brain here as I watch this trailer. For those that may not know in the comics, these three sisters are actually not in the comics. These are characters that were written for the movie. They are, however, in Greek mythology, although they have different spellings of their, of their names or different spellings to Calypso. Maybe the writers felt they had more creative freedom by using the mythological characters as opposed to other well-known DC villains. And I think maybe it, may, it might be a blessing in disguise that they didn't because we know of the impending reboot of the DC movie universe by James Gunn. This movie is kind of a lame duck because we all know James Gunn's rebooting the entire DCU next year. So it seems like that they can do that maybe without having to do anything that will remove this movie from continuity. Now back to the dragon. Calypso's dragon looks like it's going to be a focal point because it's shown fighting on its own as well as with Calypso riding uh, on his back. And it's a pretty safe bet that when Shazam stands alone at the climax of the film, that's going to be part of the big knockdown drag out. He's probably going to have to take the dragon down himself without anybody else's help. So much like the first one, I think we can summarize it by saying this looks like it's going to be an entertaining romp. I don't think we're going to have to think too deeply with this. Definitely looks like it's going to have a lot of fun acting. Like I said, Helen Mirren looks like she's having the time of her life playing an over-the-top villain here. We know how good Zachary Levi is as Shazam the first time around, basically playing a kid in a grown-up body. It'll be interesting to see if there are any post-credit segments, stingers in here, and whether these post-credit scenes that we've come to expect are left over or if there's something that might have to do with the incoming James Gunn multiverse treatment or whether it'll be something written for James Gunn's relaunch here. Because allegedly the Superman cameo was done, was filmed literally like a couple of weeks before Black Adam came out. So the precedence is there. They, they could do a hint at what we're going to see under James Gunn in a post-credits scene here. I guess you could call it whether this will carry over into the Gunniverse or not. I don't know if anybody's going to call that, call it that. I don't know. I don't lay claim to it. Anybody who wants it can have it, Gunniverse. But we don't have that long to wait. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is going to hit March 17th, 2023. And as of this recording, it's a little over six or seven weeks away. But we'll switch gears. We're going to go into our second subject here. I teased it in the last episode. My name is Velma Dinkley. And this is my origin story. And that is Velma. There's been a lot of talk about this show and uh, we've probably all heard about how it's got these epic low ratings at IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. But first off, I get weary of reboots and relaunches for many reasons because so many times 
they do away with many of the things that make the original good and they add in these new school techniques and these new school stories and tropes and such. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And whenever we see stuff like that, I try to withhold judgment until after I see at least the premiere. And I did watch the premiere of this. I haven't watched the other episodes. I'm going to be brutally honest. So maybe there's something that gets better or changes as the show goes on. And for those that may be new to Geekville Radio, both myself and Train are huge Scooby-Doo fans. We cover a lot of Scooby-Doo in our Nostalgia Trip episode from a few years back. I will link that in the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 320. There's a reason Scooby-Doo has been around for over 50 years. There, it, there's always been a measure of appeal to it. I think it could be argued that just about every version of Scooby-Doo, every time it's been revamped, every time it's been relaunched, every time it's been rebooted, it's been successful. There was the original Scooby-Doo. There was the new Scooby-Doo movies, which had the celebrities. It got revamped again in the 70s and 80s when they were bringing like Scooby-Dumb and Scrappy. And then they had the seasons where it was just Shaggy and Scooby and Daphne, where Daphne magically knew how to fly helicopters and things like that. We had the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. There's been two theatrical films which are successful, and there's been a series of DVD movies with their own continuity that take place one after another, more or less. And that's where they get into the time when it's not always some guy that gets unmasked and then says, I would have gotten away with it. It wasn't you kids and that dog. So that very brief summary of the last 50 years of Scooby-Doo, that's just to put it out there, that it's understandable why HBO Max would want a reboot of Scooby-Doo. That's totally understandable. But we get into this, and it's like even the opening seconds show that this is satire or this is parody. So I don't think this is meant to have any continuity to any other series. I don't think this is meant to be its own thing. But then again, it's supposed to be an adaption of Scooby-Doo, and the characters do not look or act anything like the classic counterparts. Even in stuff like Pup Named Scooby-Doo, which was self-parody, it was a kind of self-deprecating, the characters just were over-the-top versions of themselves, right down to everybody noticing Velma said jinkies, oh, must mean we found a clue, stuff like that. But this version, Velma, it comes across as like a self-insertion. I think that's what the term is called, when the writer puts himself or herself in the story as one of the characters and just makes the comments as though it's that person talking and not the character. And thus, the characters are completely redone to fit different tropes. Anybody who's familiar with Scooby-Doo knows that Velma's not one for sarcasm. She's really not one for jokes that much either. Now, she can take a joke. I think she's got a good sense of humor. But she is one of the clearer-headed headed people in the group. Daphne, yeah, we, she's always been kind of a rich girl. And yeah, they're, they, there's always been the implication that Daphne was w- with Fred. But I don't think that was ever overly emphasized, at least not in the original shows. I think it was one of those things that people kind of ascertained. Maybe it was a little ambiguous. And I think that's also the whole thing about the postmodern takes on Shaggy and Velma and such. I don't want to get too sidetracked on this because I want to get back to reviewing Velma here. But again, brain droppings just kind of going off as I flow on this. I don't go from a script here, folks. I just, I, I watch this and I comment. But I think a lot of that came from stuff that was left ambiguous 
wasn't really expounded on and then fans adapted to it fans decided that maybe shaggy was smoking pot and that's why he was hungry all the time maybe fans came to the conclusion themselves about velma's sexuality or anything like that it was never anything that was clearly emphasized and i think even in later versions was left ambiguous because that's what makes it entertaining that's what makes it funny is you don't know you know it's the it's pat type thing that might be a bit too strong of an example but hopefully you you get what i mean because really the biggest change as far as characters in this is shaggy he is called norval and yes that is accurate shaggy's real name is not shaggy shaggy's name is norval rogers but what we get here is shaggy is somehow in love with velma and self-conscious and worries about this and that shaggy being in love with velma Anybody who watches Scooby-Doo knows that Shaggy is only in love with one thing, and that's food. The only thing he worries about is when his next meal is going to be. His character is that simple to write. You don't have to get any more complex with that with Shaggy, other than he's also a little bit of a Freddy cat until it actually comes down to catching the villain. Both he and Scooby are probably the most cowardly characters, but they somehow manage to fall in the right place and wind up catching the villains in the long run. And that brings us to the last example here, the last, the last character I'm going to talk about, which is Scooby himself. And you may have noticed I haven't mentioned Scooby yet in this review when it comes to the characters. That's because Scooby-Doo is not in this. I don't know why. I guess maybe in this whole thing of all this self-parody and uh, trope commentary and, and all that, maybe they thought a talking dog wouldn't work. I don't know. But the theme to the second series of Scooby-Doo, I think it was originally called the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries, that had the line, couldn't have a show without you when it comes to Scooby-Doo. And I think this show proves that because there's really something missing without Scooby. Now, some might say this is an origin story and the characters are younger, but all throughout the history of Scooby-Doo, they were always a group of high school kids. That's why the villain would always say, I would have gotten away with it. It wasn't a few kids and that dog. So I don't know why you would take away Scooby-Doo entirely with this. It just doesn't make sense. It would be like a Peanuts without Snoopy or a Super Friends without Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman or something like that. It just doesn't seem right to have something that is based off Scooby-Doo to not have Scooby-Doo in it. Now, that's not to say that the show isn't entertaining. It's not to say that it isn't funny at times. There definitely are good jokes here, but often the gags carry on so long that it comes across like a series of sketches or a series of punchlines that were written first and then were strung together to try to make a measure of a story. Maybe that's not how it happened. Maybe it was written in a more traditional sense, but that's just that's just how it felt like. It, it just felt like it was gags thrown together to make a movie out of, kind of like some of those blank movie parodies. You know, the scary movies, epic movies, superhero movies, blah, blah, blah. It, a lot of those also seem like they were a series of gags and a series of individual parodies and satire sketches thrown together to try to make a coherent story out of it. So I think people will laugh at this. There are things that were funny. I think it is, though, absolutely the worst incarnation of anything Scooby-Doo I've seen when it comes to how it handles the character. I honestly do believe this would have been received a whole lot better, like leaps and bounds better if it had taken quote-unquote original characters that were clearly parodies of other character tropes, 
this might not be the best example, but the first one that comes to mind is kind of like Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty is clearly inspired by Doc and Marty. It's similar in the name, Doc and Marty, Rick and Morty. And I also think to an extent, Peabody and Sherman, for those of us old enough to remember Peabody and Sherman. There's, there's a lot of similarities there as well. Sorry to interrupt my own show here, folks. Just stepping in on my TARDIS. This is Seth from the future wanting to add in another example for self-parody over the top. That's the Harley Quinn series on HBO Max. A lot of people love it. I love it. It's hilarious. It is very much that adult swim type humor. It's not for kids. Definitely hard R-rated. But in the end, it still works because all the characters in Harley Quinn are over-the-top parodies of themselves. The Joker is still evil. Clayface is still trying to be an aspiring actor above everything else. Poison Ivy is still environmentally conscious. All that jazz. So just another example of how a self-parody could work and still be true to the character. So jumping back in my TARDIS, back to the regularly scheduled. So what you get is... Characters who are parodies or satires of past characters that then have their own plate to go with, and we still get the gags because it's referencing tropes that we've seen before. So if these were a bunch of high school kids that had new names or maybe names that were parodies of others, not only like Scooby-Doo, but maybe some of the Archies or some of the other 60s kids Saturday morning cartoon acts or maybe references to say Encyclopedia Brown or the Bloodhound Gang or anything like that I think it would have gotten received much better than if you were to say that these are the Scooby-Doo characters and we're going to write them to look and act nothing like their actual counterparts so we can make these jokes about them. So if you can get past that this is not even remotely Scooby-Doo despite the characters names being the same this will be entertaining for you I think Because like I said, there are gags that I chuckled at. There are gags that make fun of the horror tropes and the mystery tropes and all that. I get that. So those were fine. But definitely not something that makes for good Scooby-Doo, especially since there is no Scooby-Doo. So this has been episode 320 of Geekville Radio. If you're listening to us for the first time, once again, welcome. I hope you liked what you heard. You can find us on the interwebs at geekvilleradio.com. We are on the social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Geekville Radio. You can find us on the podcast player of your choosing. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon. Pretty much you name it, just do a search for Geekville Radio. You'll find us and our big family of shows, including Examine the Doctor, where we cover Doctor Who, The Nostalgia Trip, where we cover old shows like Scooby-Doo, or old things in pop culture, lesser known geek hall of fame, where we talk about iconic characters that might not be as well known as some of the heavyweights, some of the big names. And we also have Examine the Dead, which is our explicit rated show. It's the only one we do and where we talk about horror and mysticism and tropes like that. And we also have Classic Wrestling Memories where Train and I discuss the old school ways of pro wrestling. So Give us a follow, give us a like, give us a review, let us know what we're doing, let us know what we're doing well, let us know what we're doing not so well, because as I always say, I value feedback, especially when it's genuine. So whatever you write in a review, the only thing I ask is just make it genuine. Tell us how you really feel. 
I'm going to have another show up by the end of the week here. A lot of stuff we're working on. So I hope you folks will love that as much as I do recording it and bringing it to you. I am Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, mayor of Geekville, host of Geekville Radio, shutting down the power, and we'll talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.